Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast is a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Concerning Him seeks to enrich Christians around the globe by educating and equipping them through various media. For more information about Emmaus, please visit Emmaus.edu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Today we're joined by Bible professor Mark Stevenson. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, Mark is uh, currently a professor here at Emmaus, uh, professor of Bible and theology. Um, let, let's get started real quick, and, and you can tell everybody just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, I have been at Emmaus since uh, 1999, and actually prior to that, I was a student uh, in the very early 90s. Grew up in Canada and uh, attended a, a one-year Bible college there in my hometown of Peterborough, Ontario, and uh, really fell in love with studying the Bible and theology, and so I wanted to go go on. And so I transferred down here to Emmaus um, and really was a formative time, transformative time for me. Loved it. Really sensed the Lord leading me into... Um, full-time commitment to to teaching and and um, ministry. So I went on from Emmaus to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and uh, did my graduate work there. And during that time, I, I uh, uh, married my wife, Tanya, who's also an Emmaus alum. And we're going on 25 years now and uh, have four children. Our oldest is uh, a sophomore here at Emmaus. So we are very much an Emmaus family. Yeah. Uh, while I was here, I uh, did doctoral work. I began actually in Belgium, but when I moved to my dissertation phase, I studied with uh, brethren historian Tim Grass in the UK. Um, so, and uh, love, love being here, love serving at Emmaus, uh, interacting with the students, and so it's been a joy. Good. Well, and, and so you've been teaching since 99, you said. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, with that in mind, specifically, you've, you're somebody that spent a lot of time studying church history, mm-hmm. right? Within the realm of theology, historical theology, right? And and one of, we'd probably say the most, one of the most important events in church history since the closing of the New Testament would be the Reformation. And that is what we're here to talk about today, specifically why why it's important for Christians to study the Reformation, to know about the Reformation, to know what it is. Um, so as we begin that, could you just start by giving us a quick overview of what exactly the Reformation was? Sure. And the timing is right because we're uh, near the end of October, and most people date the, the launch or the beginning of the Reformation to Luther's posting of the 95 Theses Theses on October 31st, 1517. So we're a little over 500 years um, uh, of history that we're looking at here. And in, in seeking to describe the Reformation, we'd have to call it a movement. There were different expressions of it in different places, but uh, all sort of united around some core convictions. Um, and just in, again, t- time frame, 16th century. Again, most people date the beginning of it to 1517, but there were certainly some precursors to it, and it it endured 
uh, beyond that particular date. It was a reforming movement, so that's thus the Reformation. Yeah. In other words, it wasn't. It didn't set out to start a new church. It sought to reform the church, particularly along the lines of of Scripture. But its effect was to create the Protestant churches, a break with Roman Catholicism. Um, historians will often talk about the socio-political economic causes behind the Reformation, but really at its heart, it was about doctrine. And we could call it really a back-to-the-Bible movement. Um, the scriptures in the late medieval period were not well known, even by the clergy in many cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, to say nothing of the, the people, the people did not know scripture. There were not, generally speaking, biblical sermons. Um, people did not have access to the scriptures. In fact, in some places, it was actually a capital offense to possess a copy of the scriptures in your native language. Wow. Yeah. Um, So if the church largely had neglected the scriptures, it's it's really no surprise that the gospel was obscured as a result. And so the Reformation really at its heart was about recovering the gospel. That was the core doctrinal issue. How are we right with God? Um, justification by faith was, was Luther's central emphasis. And that's often called the material cause of the Reformation, meaning that was the core doctrinal issue. How are we right with God? Now, it was the answer to that question was, was discovered through the study of the New Testament. Um, it's no accident that Erasmus uh, published his Greek New Testament in 1516 and, and, and Luther devoured it. And mm-hmm. a year later, he's posting the 95 Theses. So scripture is often called the formal cause of the Reformation. The material cause is the central core uh, doctrinal issue, sola fide, um, whereas sola scriptura is sort of the what got it launched in many ways. So um, the Reformation's chief concerns and convictions are really summarized by those five solas, we Mm -hmm. we call them, the Latin phrases that capture, again, the the heart of the Reformation. So if if it's okay, maybe I'll just review those those five solas. Um, So sola scriptura, scripture alone, and and the sola means alone is is really um, what the Roman Catholic Church was often teaching was um, these elements plus plus a number of other things, and the reformers were saying sola. So I'll, I'll try to illustrate what I mean by that. The Roman Church was teaching that authority for faith and practice was a combination of scripture plus the teachings of the church, the traditions of the church, and the pope. The reformers said, no, sola scriptura, scripture alone is the final authority for us. Now, that's often misunderstood to mean that we should only read scripture and nothing else, but that's a misunderstanding, really. Uh, The reformers also went back to early church fathers. They were 
willing to embrace the, the ecumenical creeds of the church that were hashing out the doctrine of the Trinity and the Orthodox understanding of Christ. Um, but ultimately, they were saying all other authorities are judged by Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's our final authority. Uh, sola fide, or faith alone, the church, is, the church was saying a sinner is justified when he or she actually becomes righteous by faith, but also by good works and the sacraments and all of the, all of the um, other things the church was, was offering as means of, of grace and means of, of becoming right with God. And, and Luther, in particular, was emphasizing no sola fide. The Bible teaches that, that we're justified by faith in Christ alone, and it's his righteousness that is imputed to us, and that's, he declares us righteous on that basis, not on our merits. Um, the third one, closely related, sola gratia, or grace alone, Again, the church was saying, yes, we're saved by grace. They, they weren't denying that. They were advocating that. But it's grace plus. Mm. Grace plus our own merits, plus even the merits of the saints who've gone before us. And even around Luther's time, the church was preaching that individuals could free loved ones from purgatory by purchasing indulgences for uh, <laughs> a sum of money. Uh, Johann... Tetzel's famous expression, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So there was really the commercialization yeah. of salvation. And that really irked uh, Luther. And they were saying, the, the reformers responded by saying, no, we're saved by grace alone, not grace plus. And then solus Christus through Christ alone. Actually, the church was advocating that we're saved by Christ. They're not denying that at all. But but he needed to be reached and accessed through through priests, through saints, through the Virgin Mary. And even his work was not sufficient for us. We need uh, some measure of our own works. And in most cases, we need purgatory to finish the job. Um, and the reformer said, no, solus Christus through Christ and his work alone mm-hmm. um, and his righteousness are, are we saved. And then finally, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. In some ways, uh, the church was teaching that the glory for a sinner's salvation could be attributed not just to Christ, but also to Mary. She has a role in it. Uh, the saints have a role in it. Even you as a sinner have, have some role in it as well. And, and the reformers replied, all the glory belongs mm-hmm. to God for our salvation. We can take no credit, and no credit should go to anyone else as well. So those are the, the five solas that sort of summarize the key doctrinal yeah. issues at the time of the Reformation. That's that. So that's the doctrinal aspect of it. When we talk about the reformers, yeah, who who are we talking about when people use that word? Yeah, probably means different things to different people. But what yeah, are your if we're if we're staying within the 16th century and we're we're thinking of uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, the three the three uh, primary reformers that probably people would think of would, uh, of course, be Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Ulrich Zwingli, a Swiss reformer centered in Zurich, and then uh, John Calvin, 
uh, in Geneva. But it would be a mistake to think that they were the only reformers. There were many who, uh, many of them, to be uh, frank, were influenced by Luther and, and Luther's ideas as, as he was directing people back to Scripture. They became convinced um, but some uh, Zwingli claimed to come to his understanding independent of Luther. Mm-hmm. So, um, but some of these others would include William Tyndale in England. Um, he was very passionate about translating the Bible into the language of the people. Um, and he, that was his program of reform, get the Bible into, into the hands of people. Um, Martin Bucer... He was in Strasbourg and then later in England, and uh, John Knox, a Scottish reformer, um, William Farrell in Geneva. So there, there are a number of others, mm-hmm. um, but again, we probably think is the the three most uh, popular reformers that that everyone's heard of would be Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin. Yeah. A, a lot of times when you start talking about church history you'll get people that say, we don't need to study that. I don't need to study all these men, all these sinful men. I just need to study the Bible. What What would you say is the importance of studying church history broadly, but maybe specifically, why would it be important for Christians to, to study the Reformation, to understand what the Reformation was and what it accomplished and yeah. its impact? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know the old adage that uh, those who who fail to learn from history are are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is, we often learn from past mistakes, um, and that's an emphasis even in the Bible, First uh, Corinthians ten. Um, learn the negative lessons. Don't be like the people of God in the Old Testament who went after idols and, and that kind of thing. Um, but we also gain many, many valuable insights from the past. And um, I mean, for example, broadly in terms of church history, if, if you and I were to try to isolate ourselves from any historical discussion and explain the doctrine of the Trinity just on our own, <laughs> uh, we would struggle. Yeah. Well, the, the Lord has guided the church through some of those um, those debates and responding to heresies that the church recognized were were against what Scripture was teaching. Um, so to say that we can't learn from from those sources, I think, uh, really really cuts us off from some very some 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 ways in which the Lord helped guide the church yeah. and preserve the church. Mm-hmm. So. I would also say one other point that we can be inspired by those who have faithfully gone before us. And I think that's part of the point of Hebrews 11, right? The hall of faith. Um, someone has said that Hebrews 11 is a divine mandate to read Christian biography. <laughs> and, and and you think about the book of Hebrews, the readers are tempted to turn their back on Christ. Mm-hmm. And and so chapter 11 is, is giving them example after example of, of these um, people in the Old Testament who who walked by faith and were commended by God. So there is there is value in terms of instru- inspiration, encouragement for us to study 
church history and the reformers in, in particular in, in the way they met the challenge of their day. Could you give us some maybe some specific examples of how a, a Christian can grow in their understanding of, of God, their understanding of his word, the understanding of the gospel through studying the Reformation? Some specific examples. Well, I think um, just, again, the way that the Reformers were... Um, let's take Luther as an example. He tried the advanced program of the church in terms of how you get right with God, and that was by becoming a monk. And, and Luther was very intense, right? So he... Uh, he, at one point, he said, "If if if anyone could be saved by monkery, it it was I." He did everything um, to an extreme, and yet he found no peace with God. Mm-hmm. Um, extreme fasting and and endless trips to the confession booth and and uh, you know harsh treatment of the body. He could find no peace with God. But it was as he immersed himself in the study of Scripture. Providentially, he was assigned to teach Scripture, and so he immersed himself in Scripture, and that's where he began to see where things that the church is teaching doesn't line up with what I'm reading in Paul. And it was through that struggle that he came to rediscover the gospel. And... and um, I think that's a that's a wonderful example of how um, sola scriptura isn't just a doctrinal uh, principle we hold to. It can be transformative in his life, and 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 he Luther testified that when he discovered in as he was studying Romans one that we're justified by faith, it was like he he had opened the doors and entered paradise. Mm-hmm. It was so liberating for him. So, yeah. And it's amazing how how studying that type of a story can have such an effect on me. It doesn't necessarily make me want to fall in love with Luther. It makes me, yeah. hearing that Luther's story makes me want to, to, to fall more in love with God and what he's done for us and, yeah. and the way in which he justifies us. Um, I know for myself, it's studying these these men just because of sola scriptura right soli deo gloria studying them pushes me towards scripture it pushes me towards god's glory and and focusing on his glory and so you know they're not necessarily getting the glory it's all being pointed towards the lord which i i really appreciate that um given that you and i are not lutheran (laughs) um how how do we wrestle with this learning from the reformers, even though there might be some areas and sometimes even some major areas in which we we disagree, thinking, you know, a primary example that comes to mind would be Luther's understanding of, of the Lord's Supper um, and would be one that, that we would both disagree with. And yet we would still tell people, learn from Luther. And and how do, how do we wrestle with that? How do we how do we learn from them even with these disagreements? Yeah, I think that's an important question, too. Um I would say that if if you only read people that you agree with 100%, then you could only read the Bible. <laughs> um, 
But the truth is you don't have to agree with a, a writer or a, a book uh, 100% to be able to benefit from, from the insight they provide. And even when you're reading things that you disagree with, that can have an effect of, of sharpening you and sola scriptura, sending you back to scripture to, to like the Bereans, to see if these things are so and to, mm-hmm. to sharpen your own understanding of scripture. So um, I, I think that's, that's one of the things the Reformation taught us, or at least reminded us, that, that the scriptures are final authority. So yeah, I don't agree with everything the reformers taught. Another issue would be baptism, mm-hmm. um, but there's so much that I do agree with and have been helped by their their gospel centeredness, their devotion to Christ, their the the, the solas. Um, that I, I think that we again are cutting ourselves off from from rich resources that the Lord has provided for us. So I'd say, you know, enjoy the meat and spit out the bones. Okay. Um, uh, but I think we should also, there should be a level of even excitement uh, about any recovery of the gospel. And that in itself is a, a reason to to study the Ref, uh, Reformation mm. um, and how can some of the principles apply in our day um, so it makes me it makes me think of uh you you should pronounce it because i don't want to butcher it but the latin phrase for 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 always reforming right yeah. semper reformanda is yeah, that right that's yeah. It. You yeah nailed it <laughs> yeah i uh i, I want to just finish by talking about maybe some recommendations somebody says okay you convinced me <laughs> i want to start studying the reformation yeah um, the first, first, what I, what I'd like to know is maybe about some primary sources. Somebody wants to start reading the reformers. Uh, where should they start? Yeah, that's a, a challenging question because there's so much, <laughs> uh, Luther's works in English translated in English are already over 55 volumes and they're still putting wow. them out Wow! in, in German, they're over a hundred volumes. So yeah where to begin um i would say maybe uh if you have opportunity to consult some of his commentaries luther uh romans and galatians in particular because those two books were really central in his own thinking about recovering the gospel um there is also a number of compilations of his works because most of us don't have time to read (laughs) 55 plus volumes. (laughs) But there's one volume called uh, Luther's Basic Theological Writings, edited by Timothy Lull. I believe it's in a third edition now. But it it basically gives you samples and introductions to a a wide example of his writings. Um, So several different areas and gives you a good sort of intro okay. to getting a, a feel for Luther and his his theological emphases. Uh, there's also uh, Table Talk, mm. uh, which is 
a record of Luther's more casual theological discussions around the dinner table. Uh, secretary wrote down these conversations, and some of them are, are quite humorous. They show the, the earthiness of, of Luther in some ways, but also give, give pastoral wisdom and, and counsel. So that one's, that one's fun. Luther himself identified um, the, his book, The Bondage of the Will, as his most important theological work uh, because it was a response to Erasmus. And really uh, what he was trying to emphasize in that book was that our, our inability to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you want Luther's recommendation, he'd probably <laughs> send you there first. Um, so that's Luther. In terms of, of Calvin, I would recommend reading the Institutes, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I would re- recommend a particular edition of it. You can, you can get cheap, older ones, but the best translation is, is the one edited by John McNeil mm-hmm. and translated by uh, Ford Lewis Battles. Now, I have to say something about Calvin because... I think there's a lot of mischaracterization of Calvin, misunderstanding of Calvin uh, for various reasons. I think he's often been misunderstood. Um, and so people hear the name and for some people have an immediate uh, almost allergy. Um, but I would say pick up the Institutes and read, read them. And again, use the principle of sola scriptura, test them against the word of God. And I think what people will find is they're, in many places, wonderfully devotional. Absolutely. um, And very edifying. So um, before you prejudge him, I think it's important to to read him for yourselves. I've read a lot of uh, fairly strong criticisms from people who've actually never read him. And, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm currently reading the Institutes, okay. and, and one of the things I was surprised by, I was expecting 500-year-old work to be difficult to read, mm-hmm. and it, especially that, that translation is, is really simple in a lot of ways to read, and you're right, it's just devotional. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's caused me, without doing this on purpose, to to pick up scripture and just start reading in certain sections that he's, that he's referencing because it's just so enjoyable, if that makes sense. C.S. Lewis has an essay you're probably aware of called On the Reading of Old Books. Mm-hmm. And he makes that point that, that often we are intimidated uh, to read for ourselves these, these great writers of the past because we think exactly what you've said. But the reason they're still in print and the reason they're great is because they are very uh, insightful and readable. Yeah. And uh, often reading old books, Lewis in that essay argues that it exposes some of the blind spots we have in our contemporary <clears throat> moment. We're not even aware of reading old books can, can help us along mm. those lines as well. Uh, so th- those are some suggestions for primary sources in terms of yeah, absolutely. Secondary sources. Yeah, yes. in terms of secondary sources, that is um, books about the Reformation and yeah. books about the Reformers. Um, I have to say probably the place to start is Roland Baton's biography of Luther called Here I Stand. Mm-hmm. 
It's a classic. I remember reading it over 25 years ago and being impacted spiritually in my own life from that one. Uh, I, I used to assign it in my church history class, but s- students, although they enjoyed it, they found it a little more difficult to read because okay. it is an older one. So uh, there's, a, there's a newer one uh, published by Crossway, Herman Selderhuis, uh, Martin Luther, A Spiritual Biography. Okay. Uh, that would be a good one. Uh, in terms of just reading about the Reformation, um, again, there's a lot to choose from, but I probably would recommend a book by uh, Michael Reeves and Tim Chester, Why the Reformation Still Matters. And that gets to a little bit of some of the questions you had today about why should we care. So mm-hmm. they address that and they show the ongoing relevance of the Reformation, but it's also a good introduction to the Reformation itself and, and what the Reforma- Reformers were doing and and as well as why their insights are still very relevant for us today. Um, I mean, the gospel is still very relevant for today. And so a movement that is about recovering the gospel has a lot to, to teach us and help us with. And so that would be a good place. Um, if you want a very, very brief introduction that's written for just people who don't know a whole lot about the Reformation, Stephen Nichols has a book called The Reformation, How a Monk and a Mallet Changed the World. <laughs> so great subtitle there. Um, but that would be another helpful one okay. to get an overview of, of what the Reformation was about and some of the people involved. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really yeah. appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on another time. All right. So, Great. Th- this has been another episode of Concerning Him. Thank you for listening to Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Ministries like Concerning Him are possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.